The film review podcast for movies most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the oubliette. Discuss it and judge it to decide whether it should be set free or whether it should be thrown back into oblivion forever. We review a films, others tend to forgive. Seasons greetings. You're listening to Movie Oubliette, episode 67, the continental encompassing movie review podcast with me, Dan. Ready for another 40 degree summer Christmas in Melbourne, Australia. And me, Conrad, enjoying Dickensian snowy landscapes in Cambridge, UK. In this podcast, we discuss overlooked genre films, sci-fi, horror and fantasy, because we love being magically whisked away by a creepy guy with the harmonica one magical night (laughs) and talk to a magical (laughs) Scandinavian fella. Yeah, we just love the magic of... Of magical things. <laughs> we do. Conrad. <laughs> uh, we will be saying the word magic or magical quite a lot in this episode. Just a <laughs> forewarning. <laughs> well, I think it's that time of year, isn't it, Dan? Oh, it is. It is, for sure. How are you today, Conrad? Not too bad. We're trying to make the best of Christmas here in the UK. You still have a lot of COVID restrictions. Yes. In fact, my family can't get together Oh, which no. is a real shame. It's the first time that I can remember for decades that my family hasn't been able to get together oh, no. at Christmas. So oh. quite sad. Yeah. How but, about you? Uh, yeah, it's going to be an orphan's Christmas for us. Uh, my mum is currently in Italy with my sister and her ah. uh, extended family. So, yeah, uh, just the wife and the dog this Christmas. Oh, but that's all you need. Yeah, at least we can go outside and <laughs> not wear a mask and eat and have no cases. So you know, yeah, we're we're winning really. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> you don't don't have snowy conditions to contend with either, which we have here. I woke up to snowfall yesterday, wow. which was really nice. Wow, just in time. Indeed, yeah, it does make it feel like it could be a magical Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> So any any magical people talking to us through our socials, Conrad? Well, yes, I rummaged around in Santa's sack and I found some letters to us. Uh, we had Chad Rommel, or Rommel, I'm never sh- too sure, Chad, how to pronounce your surname. I'm so sorry. And he was talking about our Burnt Offerings episode. He said, I was around the same age as your insightful and engaging guest, Scott Drebbit, when this film debuted. The adverts creeped me out so much it took me four decades to finally watch it. Wow. (laughs) Agreed with you, gents, a criminally overlooked haunted house movie. Uh So there you go. Fancy not watching a film for four decades because the trailers scared you too much. I I feel like I'm in that boat. Uh, I've th- yeah. I feel like because as a child I hate I did not like horror. I was too freaked out, so I had to do a lot of catching up in my twenties uh, and thirties. Yeah, so there you go. A kindred spirit. (laughs) And Nick Hardy responding to our Dan's culinary combo tweet, (laughs) (laughs) Sunrise (laughs) Omelette. 
He offered some other potential culinary combos. Children of the cornflakes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the woman in black pudding. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Very traditional Scottish there. And uh, scrambled eggs assist. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> he said he'd fetch his coat after that one. <laughs> uh, they, they sound very appetising, though. I might try that last one. Well, I can't, obviously, because I'm vegan. But yes, very nice. <laughs> uh, and in response to who's your favourite AI character, which we were talking about in relation to Arthur from Star Chaser, The Legend of Orin, mm. Eli Hooper said... I know the actor behind the voice of my favourite AI character is cancelled at the moment, but I absolutely love Gertie from the movie Moon. Surprisingly oh. emotional connections that happen throughout. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. That movie's amazing, though. It is, yeah. Duncan Jones, it's a great piece of work and a fine performance from the actor who we no longer mention but i think because it's just his voice you can almost still watch the movie and not be too bothered by it mm, yeah and of course we also heard from surge of oh, cold of crash course. pictures hey Serge. hello surge merry christmas and he said star chaser is an impressive technological achievement it basically had to be animated twice in order to get the 3d effect and displays some pioneering computer assisted animation with its ship sequences but the story is uh very much not for me oh uh, yeah it's one of <laughs> It's one of the most shameless Star Wars ripoffs I've ever seen, with somehow even more racist stereotypes, right. and especially yes. dehumanising vision of women, even for the 80s. Mm. <laughs> and an overall lack of urgency and narrative thrust that I found kind of boring. So there mm. you go. Yeah. All fair criticisms, yes, I would yes, say. Yes, Very yes, much yes. so. I did think while I was watching it, Surge is not going to like this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there we go. So great mailbag. Thank you for getting in touch, everyone, this year. We've loved hearing from you. Yes. Please keep sending us stuff, even if you have to beat your way through a snowstorm to get to that mailbox. Okay, Conrad, uh, are we going to be dusting snow off the movie we'll be covering today? Oh, let me go and find out. Ah. Oh. It's chilly in here. Really slushy underfoot as well. Oh, but muddy. There's a guy up in a tree playing a harmonica. It's a bit creepy. <laughs> it's like the killer from Jeepers Creepers. Oh. Ah, there's a post box. Oh, a blinding light. Wow. And a movie just thrust itself into my hand. Okay, I'm coming back. So called red. What do you have for us today? Uh, today, I have One Magic Christmas, a 1985 American-Canadian co-production from Walt Disney Pictures, mm. starring Mary Steenburgen, Gary Basaraba, Michelle Meinrink, Elizabeth Arnois, Arthur Hill, Harry Dean Stanton, and a very, very, very young Sarah Polly. And it's directed by Philip Borsos with a screenplay by Thomas Meehan. So is Mickey Mouse going to have a cameo? I don't think so, no. <laughs> no. This is from Disney's dark period, 1985. So celebrating its 35th anniversary this year. Ooh. Eggnog all round. Yes, indeed. Get your tipple ready. I hope you're in a seasonal spirit, Dan, because... In this movie, we meet the lovable Granger family who've oh. fallen on hard times. 
The dad, Jack, has lost his job and the family has to move out of the company house by January. Hard-working Ginny is trying to support him and their two young children, Abby and Cal, in a thankless job as a checkout girl in a grocery store where she's constantly bullied by her manager. She's also struggling to come to terms with the recent death of her father, so it's not surprising that Ginny's struggling to summon the festive spirit as Christmas approaches. Mm. To help her, Santa Claus dispatches Gideon, a harmonica-playing Christmas angel, who teaches Ginny the true meaning of Christmas by forcing her to live a nightmarish alternate Christmas Eve in which <laughs> she loses her job, her husband's shot dead in a bank robbery, and the robber steals her car and drives her kids into an icy river. Wow. <laughs> Merry Christmas! <laughs> Will the innocent faith of little six-year-old Abby Granger be able to restore Ginny's spirit and bring the family back together for one magic Christmas? <laughs> Let's find out. Mm. And we will be joined in this episode by the star of the film, Abby Granger herself, Elizabeth Arnor, for one festive treat. It's going to be a magical one. It really is. <laughs> After the break. Our special guest today is a wonderful actor who's played everything from Alice in Wonderland to a crime scene investigator and a rebellious Martian in the animated family favourite Mars Needs Moms. But today we're focusing on her very first feature film role when she was just the tender age of five. Yes, we're very excited to welcome One Magic Christmas's Abby Granger herself, the one and only Elizabeth Arnoir. Hello, hey. welcome. Thank you. Hey. What a lovely introduction. <laughs> <laughs> little walk down memory lane. <laughs> I guess it must be crazy for you to talk about this movie. It's the 35th anniversary, if it's not indelicate of me to say that. <laughs> no, not at all. In fact, it's a joy to be able to say that. You know, for me, in so many ways, it can, it can, there are memories that feel like yesterday, and then there are parts that I'm sure you're going to tell me about that I didn't even know, you know? It's, <laughs> it's one of my favorite things I've ever done, and, and it just happened to be one of my first things that I ever did. So yeah. big source of pride, this movie. So mm. first things first, I guess, how did you get involved in the movie? Were you already sort of a working young actress and in adverts and things like this? Or were you plucked out of school? What happened there? I started when I was about three years old, just from my parents seeing how much energy I had and how much of a performer I was, whether or not they liked it. I think that they realized <laughs> they could give me an outlet for that. First, it was dance. And then, you know, I kept like memorizing commercials and repeating them back to them. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't ask to be put in the industry at all. It was more that my parents were able to and had the time to explore that option for me because I seemed to enjoy that stuff so much. And One Magic Christmas was actually my second movie, uh, my first real starring okay. It was just an audition. You know, my parents did the normal thing of contacting SAG and finding out good agencies. And the first couple agents I met with wanted to sign me. We liked one. The first thing I auditioned for, I booked. And so my parents thought that was a good sign. Mm -hmm. When One Magic Christmas came along, they were very excited because they loved the material. And I went in and, you know, I got like, I, th I think I went back probably like three times right. to read. It was still to this day one of my favorite things I've ever done. When I look back at the quality of the work that I've done, it is one of the top in the quality. And I was lucky for it to be when I was five years old because it was a good introduction to 
working with great actors and people who were cool with children. You know, it was just a good environment for one of my first jobs, for sure. Yeah. yeah. In terms of quality, your your acting is perfection. It's it's so oh. adorable. It's so endearing. Like, you're, I don't, you have so much sort of restraint in your delivery as well as a good actor. It's pretty amazing. That's really amazing to hear you say that, because as a kid, I was not aware. <laughs> you know, it was very much just um, being natural in the moment. There was no uh, training there. It was purely just feeling the moments, you know, feeling what was happening right. in the moment. Right. Yeah. You're so present in the scenes, making eye contact with your fellow actor. You're actually in the scene. Didn't you have any self-consciousness or catching the camera with your eyeline by accident or anything like that? You know what? I'm going to say this. What, from what I remember of it, I remember never feeling like I was acting, if that makes sense. Right. At that age, I really was just interacting with people. Right. And, and it felt like probably one of the most honest times in working as an actor because there really aren't any of those things that you overthink. You really are just like, well, if someone said this to me, this is how I would feel. This is how I would react. And it wasn't too thought. It was very instinctual and, and natural. And, and, and to the credit of the director, Philip Borsos, who was so great, knew how to speak to children without speaking down to them. He knew how to speak as a peer. Mm. He really knew how to keep it very present and mindful without being too over-aware, if that makes sense. It might seem like an oxymoron, but it's true. He was great. And also the actors I got to work with. You know, I'm still to this day friends with Mary Steenburgen. And working with like Gary Basaraba and Mary Steenburgen, they were great actors. So as a kid, you didn't even have the ability to pick up any bad habits. Right. <laughs> you know, you mm, were just like, right. you were really reacting to what felt like a real conversation. Yeah. yeah. How was it like working with Harry Dean Stanton? Yeah. Harry Dean Stanton. Oh my goodness. That was an amazing experience, actually. He and I had this great back and forth on set. <laughs> and as an adult who uh, knows what it's like to not have the sponge of a memory that I used to, I can laugh about it. But at the time, I'm sure he was so good about it. I would mistake sometimes well, I didn't even mistake it. Sometimes he was forgetting his lines and I would, <laughs> oh, okay. it would be his coverage. But every time we rolled, I was just like, for me, that was reality. That was what was happening. I was in the moment and I would be hanging on every word and then he wouldn't say them. And then I would word them quietly to him. <laughs> 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 and the best part is a couple times he was like, oh yeah, thank you. He appreciated it. And a couple other times he was like, I'm acting Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking my moment. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. But no, no malice. Like it was just like a very sweet sort of thing that we had together. Where and he would jump mm. with the crew. Like here she is. She's going to tell us all our lines today. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, no, it was wonderful. I think Emma Watson was the same on the the Harry Potter movies. If you watch her mouth closely in some of the scenes in the first movie, she was mouthing some of her co-stars' lines. She right. Right. everybody else's lines really? as well as her own yeah <laughs> you know what works about that though for Hermione is just that she almost wants you to say a certain thing you know she yeah. wants you to say this and so she's going to try and will you to say it with her mouth my grandmother used to do that and um so I recognize that characteristic in a type a personality I don't think that that's what I am at all I think just at that age I didn't know better yeah honestly yeah <laughs> you know uh, sure. but Hermione yeah. was definitely type a so whether or not Emma Watson did that accidentally or performance knowingly I think it worked for Hermione <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Sure. maybe it's a Granger attribute that's right <laughs> yeah. I like yeah. that I like that <laughs> Sad. I'll, I'll take the comparison. <laughs> <laughs> so the film has often been criticised. I mean, it's one of my 
family's favorites we watch it every year thank you <laughs> i love that one of the things that i love about it is that it is a little bit more gritty it's a working class family it's the people who got left behind in reagan's 80s america absolutely and what happens to Ginny is Let's be honest, it's pretty harsh. It's very harsh. Mm. It's a dark Christmas movie. It, it is. It's one of a kind in that way. It mm. is. It's like it's a wonderful life. It's, that's what I always compare it to, you know? Yeah, exactly. I was wondering whether, as a child, whether you were affected by it, whether you noticed that some of the material was upsetting. Like, for example, did you know that you and your brother were supposed to have died in a river halfway through the movie? <laughs> yeah. How did you deal with that then? How do you look back on it now? Well, um... I only deal in honest answers, so I'll tell you this. Mm-hmm. I was raised Catholic, and my, my parents are practicing, and they, they, my mom raised me to believe in things like angels and to believe that something like this could actually happen. So when she talked to me about the material, she discussed these ideas with me. And so I did understand the um, stakes uh, as much as a five-year-old could understand the, the stakes involved and what the story's trying to say and... Um, the dark side of it. Mm. She wanted me to be able to understand it. This was a project that despite how dark it gets and how um, real of a story it's telling, almost almost political in a certain way in terms of, like you said, the, the families that got left behind in that era. You know, my parents were kind of those people. They were, they were middle class. You know, they, I think they related to the story in certain ways too, the struggle. Mm. It's not like I grew up with a silver spoon. So it wasn't hard to uh, connect to those things organically because my mom did explain them. She wasn't afraid to tell me, yeah, this is what the story's trying to say. And for me, because, you know, I did pray to God and believe in angels. It wasn't that mm. hard for me to consider that this could really... Every moment in this is totally possible, mm. you know, and I still believed it's Santa at the time. So that too, I was like, this movie got me real confused. I was like, it, 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 it oh, was yeah. so close to what Santa's like. I can't believe how good this is. I bet it's just, you know, I really believed. <laughs> oh, wow. It's interesting that you said that you still believed in Santa, even though you're on a movie set with like uh, yeah. a make-believe Santa. Yeah, no, my parents didn't let me get jaded or they didn't sh- take me out of like being a kid. Mm. They did their best to preserve those things. And I think partially because I believed in Santa, even the, the stuff that I did where I was meeting him, it felt magic to me. Like the line between the real and, the, and I knew it wasn't real. I knew we were making a movie. Of course I knew that. But mm. I was able to tap into those feelings because I actually believed that those feelings came from an honest place and they were possible. Wow. Yeah, we were wondering if uh, wandering around Santa's workshop was just as overwhelming and magical as it looks in the film, because that set is amazing. Mm. Honestly, to this day, I don't know that I have been on a set that felt as immersive and real as that did. Oh. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I feel like Philip was really careful about not letting me see too many things in advance, mm. so that uh. when I did see them, even though I knew it was pretend and it was a set and that we were creating a story, I was just in awe of it regardless. Mm. So yeah. for that scene, I do remember pretty clearly that we walked through it one time before we shot it. Ah, right. yeah, that was, uh, th- that I have such a, like, I get like little goosies in my stomach thinking about that, like butterflies. Yeah. Uh, Cause it really was kind of a magical scene to shoot. Wow. Yeah. So I guess the question is, did you still believe in Santa after the movie wrapped? Yeah, yeah you did. Okay. It didn't yeah. ruin it for you. No, That's for me, uh, Christmas was still coming and I still had a list and I hope I had been good. And mm. <laughs> <laughs> for me, I was, you know, I was doing this job, but like everything I was doing, the story I was telling only reinforced the idea of Santa Claus being real. Because I'm telling a story mm. about him being real. 
you know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I had a good two and a half years there where I was like Santa. Yeah. <laughs> that is cool. That's cute. Santa's coming. That's a good childhood, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. Yes, so lovely to speak to Elizabeth Arnua, the star of today's movie. We'll have more of our interview with Elizabeth later in the uh, podcast. But mm -hmm. right now, let's get into our discussion, Dan. You hadn't seen this movie before, am I right? No, I had not. I never heard of it. I am not the biggest fan of Christmas movies. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I do enjoy the good ones, you know, Home Alone and Scrooged with Bill Murray. What else? Love Actually, I think. Oh, uh, yeah, that's I, you know, I enjoy it for its, you know, rom-commy cheesiness. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not huge on the family Christmas movies. I wasn't expecting good things. Right. Okay. <laughs> that's fair enough. Generally with family Christmas movies, it's always about the theme of hope. Right. Hoping yeah. for a better tomorrow and, and <laughs> believing in Santa and believing in Christmas. Was that Santa Claus at the start? The all-encompassing uh, voice coming down from the heavens? I thought it was God. It felt like God to me. <laughs> no, I think it's Santa Claus because he has that slightly Scandinavian sort of oh, accent right. going yes. on. So who knows? <laughs> yeah. I felt that there was a lot of sort of religious undertones with this movie, mm. with the voice at the start. I thought it was God. And the fact that Gideon is an angel sent down to spread the word of Santa Claus, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Apparently. So, yeah. And sort of the themes of belief and the fact that Ginny doesn't believe in Christmas. She's lost her faith in Christmas and she's mm. lost her hopefulness for better things and the family to get through it. She's all downtrodden and a pool of despair, really. Yeah. And those sort of religious undertones kind of irk me a little bit because I'm not very religious. Right, and okay. So, yeah. <laughs> You've seen this movie many, many times, right, Conrad? Yeah. So did you have those sort of religious undertones? I didn't necessarily detect that. You know, I find sort of Christmas magic to be very secular and non-denominational. Of and, course. And of that's course. why I think it's Santa talking at the beginning, dispatching Christmas angels. So it's just sort of this mm. festive spirit thing that's going on. I mean, this fits into a long tradition of this kind of movie. A lot of people compare this movie to It's a Wonderful Life, mm. the Frank Capra movie from 1946. I got that vibe immediately. Yeah. I mean, I only watched It's a Wonderful Life maybe two years ago for the first time. Wow. So it's it's still quite fresh. And so, yeah, it has a very similar format. Like, the structure is almost the same. Pretty much, yeah. It's just a classic Scrooge tale. It's the person mm. is taught the true meaning of Christmas. And quite often, you know, the Scrooge tale is teaching people that material things aren't important and it's our humanity that's important and sharing mm. the time that we have together. Yes. Having sort of this supernatural figure show people an alternative world in which they didn't exist or things go terribly, terribly wrong and mm. making them stop and appreciate what's really important. I like that sort of alternate reality fantasy setup. I think it's good fun. Sure, sure. I mean, we do have to talk about the downfall of this family. Mm. I was kind of in two minds with it. 
there were some parts of it that just didn't seem that bad. It's like, why are you so sad about this? And then other parts that were like, wow, this is the worst. Yeah. <laughs> this is a death. That's pretty bad. <laughs> Kids almost drowning. But like, even though those terrible things were terrible, they were kind of undermined or negated when the kids were saved by a Gideon. Mm. Obviously, it's a Disney film. You're not going to kill kids. No. It's never going to happen. <laughs> but it, no. it, it almost seemed a little bit silly to have this really extended chase scene and then going into the bridge and then the kids just survive anyway and they just return home. Like, why did we watch that whole big scene for? Yeah, I think it does give her a moment's pause where she realises that she could lose everything. I mean, that moment where Mary Steenburgen is sitting on the edge of her bath, choking back floods of tears because her whole family's dead, as far as she knows. Yeah. And oh, that moment is, is brutal. It's, it's really, really brutal. I was shocked by that. I didn't expect it. But then the next moment, the kids are fine. Yeah, the kids are dead for a minute and a half of screen time. Yeah, It's a Disney movie, but I know, still. I know. This movie got a lot of criticism at the time and since for being just so unremittingly dark. Yeah, sure. It's funny, the fact that the kids were only dead for a second reminds me of the third Star Wars movie where Chewbacca is, spoilers here, dead for a second. Oh, Rise of the Skywalkers <laughs> or whatever the yeah, hell that yeah. thing is called. What a piece of sh... Sorry, that's not festive. We won't go there. We won't go there. We won't go there. But it is funny no. that both movies are Disney movies. That's very true, actually. Yeah, and just about as good as the Star Wars Christmas special. But yeah, moving um, on. Yes. Moving on, moving on. Yeah, this movie has been criticised for being surprisingly dark and downbeat for a family Christmas movie. Mm. I take issue with that because a lot of people hold up It's a Wonderful Life as this unbeatable landmark of a Christmas movie. People seem to forget that in that movie, Jimmy Stewart is at the brink of committing suicide. Mm. And then he's shown an alternative reality where he didn't exist and he finds out his brother's dead and mm. loads of people weren't saved in the war and the local pharmacist has been locked up for accidentally killing someone and his wife's a spinster who's miserable and the whole town's ruined by yeah. this Trumpian <laughs> businessman. It's a dark movie. It is. Really dark. It is. And I don't think One Magic Christmas is that dark. I did find myself asking, like, who's the audience here? Right. Because I don't think I would have enjoyed that movie as a you see, I did. <laughs> did you? Oh, that's so it's surprising. Because the first half of it is so depressing, but nothing really happens. Yeah. Things that were bad, but not really that bad. So the shower scene where she floods the shower. Yeah. I thought it was going to be way worse than that, but it wasn't. It's just like a little bit of water. And then yeah. little Cal just breaks a window. Mm. It's like... Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Apart from the bank scene hmm. and them having to, you know, leave their home, there wasn't anything hugely bad that goes on. I Do don't you know. Not think so. You see, I thought that this was a rare glimpse into working class America during the Reagan era. Sure. Because usually these Christmas movies, they're an orgy of upper middle class conspicuous consumption. If you think mm. of films like Miracle on 34th Street from 94 and Home, Home Alone, Alone from yeah. 1990. I never understood how 
the houses in America were so huge. Cavernously huge, yeah. And they always look like they're just ready for like a catalogue shoot for some home living magazine. Yeah. Who are these people? Mm. I don't recognise these people. True. Whereas the Grangers are this average working class family in this tiny house with one bathroom. Yeah. You know, the place looks like a place that I recognise. It was messy, dirty. She was struggling to keep on top of things. She's working this shitty job. Mm. Her husband's lost his job. They've got to move out of the house. They don't know what's going to happen. They've got $5,000 in the bank that's keeping them away from the poor home. Mm-hmm. Although I don't understand why the great-grandfather doesn't help because he seems to be in a cavernous mansion <laughs> of a house somewhere. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. Yeah. And you have that awful scene where all the characters are introduced. You have Ginny at the checkout. You have Molly Monaghan's mother failing to be able to afford all of the food that she's picked out and having to put something back. And then you're introduced to the would-be robber. Harry, yeah. Yeah, Harry, who doesn't have enough money either and ends up taking pennies from his child. Mm. So I just thought it was really unusual to see that in a Christmas movie, to see these working-class people that are really struggling to make ends meet and might not make it. Mm. I think you're right, actually, about the portrayal of a realistic family. Because mm. I think I went into it thinking, if you're going to show a impoverished or, you know, struggling family, they need to be dirt poor. They right. need to be Oliver Twist right, yeah. on the street <laughs> covered in soft yeah. poor. That's what I'm used to watching Christmas movies because they always take things to the extreme yeah when you break it down it is true like this is a much more realistic authentic portrayal of what poor looks like yeah and it doesn't mean covered in mud living on the sidewalk (laughs) no (laughs) although molly monaghan a very young sarah polly in her first movie role yeah she sort of edges towards that you know they don't look great but yeah like the misfortunes that they're struggling with it's just little things all the time. It's, so it struck me as more realistic that, yeah, their bathroom floods, but it's not comical. It doesn't make the house fall down or something. No, no, no. Just no, little no. slights like Ginny. She's having to have, like, the next people being shown around her home and the wife of that family criticises the colour that oh, she's painted her kitchen. The, yes. And what I love is that when she replies and says, I like yellow, she holds her head up. Yeah. She doesn't mutter it into her shoes. Yeah, so that's true. she's still got that spark in her. She's still mm. defiant and she can still get in the shower and falteringly at first, but eventually with real gusto, sing along with a song and dance. Yeah. It's still in her somewhere. And I love that about her. I'm not hugely versed with Mary Steenburgen's uh, Bergen? Bergen? I think it's Bergen, yeah. As a actress. But I've realised, looking up her filmography, that I've seen so many movies. She's in Back to the Future 3. Yes. Probably in one of the most watched movies as a kid. Really? Yeah. I don't know why I watched the third one that many times. I don't know. It makes no sense. <laughs> She's also in a, a recent TV show I've watched with my wife called Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Okay. And she hears people singing in real life. So, yeah. Your nemesis of TV shows is a lot of singing every episode. Oh, God. But she's in that. <laughs> and she has a knack of playing that wholesome mother. Yeah. The mother that has all great intentions and is always looking after everyone and caring and nurturing. She's actually about to star in a movie coming out this Christmas, another Christmas movie. Of course. Uh, which I'm not <laughs> sure what it's called, but it's got um, Kristen Stewart in it. Yeah, it's called Happiest Season, and I think it's yes. premiering on 
Hulu. Yeah, she does that character so well. America's ideal mom is Mary Steenburgen. She is. Her husband she is. is Ted Danson. She's been with Ted Danson for quite some time. Oh, right. I didn't know that. As long right. as they're together, you think the world's okay, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Going back to One Magic Christmas and the other actors in it, Elizabeth Ardwar was just perfect. She's just <laughs> adorable, isn't she? And yeah. she is only five years old in this movie. It's just astonishing what she's able to achieve as an actor at that age. I mean, it's hard finding a good child actor, mm. but she, every single scene... There was so much authenticity mm. and so much restraint as well. Like lines that she wouldn't just yell out. She would whisper some lines. It was quite refreshing to see that sort of acting from someone so young. Yeah. And it's little nuances as well that she manages to throw in there. Like when she's visiting Santa's house and she's had to go up to the door by herself and knock on the door. Mm. When Mrs. Claus opens the door, she's there and she's got her hands sort of folded in front of herself. Yeah. And she's just sort of twisting around at the waist and saying, is Santa here? You know, she looks really embarrassed. <laughs> Yeah, and really experiencing sort of the wonder and the magic of the whole thing. Yeah, the wonder she completely exudes, especially in that scene where he he magically makes the the snow globe come back together, and he's like fixed, yeah. and she looks like she's just seen the most amazing, extraordinary thing that she's ever seen, and she just kind of whimpers like fixed yeah and it's just like how do you act like this did the director of uh, director to do that or did she do that on her own it's it's so amazing she is incredible in it i mean the whole family it has to be said they are so believable they are. i really like spending time with them i had a problem with harry dean stanton's character okay so <laughs> he's an interesting angel isn't he well yeah he uh i think this is something, as a non-American, I can't relate. He's been conveyed as a cowboy. Mm. Grown up watching Westerns, Americans would probably relate to that. Mm. To me, he does look like a bit of a stalker, like a little <laughs> bit of a creep. Like the guy that you shouldn't be talking to on the street, the guy in the trench coat and the and the hat. Like, yeah. I don't know. It just didn't sit right with me. And the fact that he would appear magically in Abby's bedroom yeah. in the middle of the night. And watch her in the dark for a moment before he turns the lights on. Yeah. Yeah. It's the sort of thing where I think somebody has done this in YouTube where they've recut the film to do one of those horror trailers oh, for the yes. movie. Yeah, right. And yeah, they yes. do focus a lot on him silently watching them from afar and perching up in a tree playing mm. his harmonica. Mm. I don't get that from Harry Dean Stanton because I've always thought that he was such a warm, lovely actor. Right. I mean, I mainly know him from Alien. Uh, okay. The thing I find a little bit odd about him is as a representation of a Christmas angel, he's very different from, say, Clarence in It's a Wonderful Life, who is kind of a goofy old man. Sure. Or there's another one that I really like. Cary Grant plays a character called Dudley in The Bishop's Wife, which came out the year after It's a Wonderful Life, 1947. Okay. And he plays 
a very suave debonair angel mm, whereas sure. harry dean stanton so i mean he's got a sort of hangdog expression anyway but he seems fairly downbeat and dour yeah he doesn't seem very hopeful no he doesn't seem like the guy that should be spreading the word of christmas <laughs> you know if he <laughs> no. knocked on your door and said hi i would like to talk about christmas i would be like no thank you um <laughs> goodbye <laughs> Yeah, I can't say I blame you. I mean, there's that whole hint of a backstory there too, because he's sitting in the tree by himself at the beginning of the movie and the all-seeing voice of Santa says, I've got an assignment for you this Christmas. And he says, I thought you'd forgotten about me. And then it seems like he can't go to Santa's house like he's persona non grata there. Mm. I don't know why, but he won't go and he ends up just in the shed with the reindeer. Mm. There's this kind of hinting at him being this disgraced angel or just not the popular one or something. Yeah. I don't know. It's really weird. He just seems kind of a sad figure to be dispensing festive cheer. Yeah. I mean, I would pick the word depressing. I was <laughs> yeah. thinking, actually, if this movie had come out in the 90s, I think they would have picked someone much more quirky yeah like robin williams or jim carrey or yeah. like steve carell or will ferrell someone like a bit ridiculous yeah, that yeah. would be appealing to kids i guess mm. because i don't think harry dean stanton's character was appealing to kids no he does look like the villain in jeepers creepers and if he were standing there by a post box in the middle of a starkly lit moonlit night saying you don't seem to have a lot of christmas spirit yeah i guess you might run yeah screaming yeah <laughs> into traffic yeah <laughs> but i think that's fair comment i always liked harry dean stanton so i wasn't particularly bothered mm. by it as a kid yeah i didn't grow up with them so i'm looking at it from a different perspective i guess yeah um, i only saw pretty in pink very recently and he's in that oh yeah he's and the dad isn't he he's molly ringwald he's dad. a little bit depressing in that too so <laughs> <laughs> This movie is called One Magic Christmas. Mm. There's not a lot of magic. <laughs> the entire second act doesn't really happen. I think that's pretty magical. Um... It is. It is. But I guess visually, there's not a lot of magic. No. There's a couple of glowing orbs yep. and a couple of bright lights. Yep. But uh, the special effects are... Non-existent, really. Yeah, there aren't that many. I think the movie was struggling in terms of funds, so they had to be fairly meagre. Um, I guess what I like about it is they didn't attempt something that they couldn't, couldn't pull sure. off within their means. Yeah. So it's fairly, again, understated and a little bit more believable in the universe that it creates, which is a little bit grittier than you're used to in a Christmas movie. Yes, <laughs> That's true. Like, if you can't show it, don't show it. But there were certain scenes that they just did nothing. Yeah. When Abby was transported back to her home from the North Pole, yeah, it was just a straight cut. There was no effects. Yeah. Nothing. Magical. <laughs> she just ended up on her street and she's waltzed in the front door. Yeah. I don't know. There was no magic. No. Why, it's called One Magic Christmas. Yeah. Slightly lacking in magic for you, then. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even showing Santa Claus, it seemed like a little bit 
Is that it? <laughs> he didn't seem all that incredible. No, just absent-minded old man who's forgotten his lunch. Yeah, a bit senile. <laughs> yeah. Um, wears a nice knit sweater. Yeah, he's a little underwhelming, I guess. I don't know. I think that's the message of the movie, maybe, that you can't rely too much on this kind of magical stuff. I don't know. Maybe that's what yeah. they were trying to get across. Maybe. But it, I wanted Santa Claus to jump off the screen. I wanted him to be, oh, my God, it's Santa. That's amazing. That's the guy yeah. that all the kids write to and want to talk to and get presents from. And he was just this kind of Scandinavian old dude with bushy eyebrows. I don't know. It's a bit of a letdown. <laughs> yeah, I remember as a kid being slightly disappointed by that. But again, I think it's just trying to temper your expectations. It's a little bit more grounded than these fantasies normally yeah, are. So... And a little bit less primary coloured and yeah, that's cheesy. True. I guess so. If, I mean, if they were going in that direction, you know, authentic, poor family, why not portray Santa as a bit of a not that great guy? Yeah, just sort of overworked, old, forgetful guy just doing his job yeah. with his workshop of elderly people. Yeah. Not elves, just people. Mm. It's different. Bit of a doubter. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a big twist, I guess, that happens in the film. So when Jenny finally believes in Santa and Christmas and everything magically gets reversed. Yes. And her husband is suddenly alive. At first, mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was like a time like reversal. Oh, okay. I I didn't realize it skipped back in time and it was reliving the day again. I thought husband had just suddenly, just magically woken up from being dead in the morgue (laughs) and just walked out of the morgue. Oh, no. This undead husband. (laughs) Oh, no. That would have been awful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I was a bit shocked. Like, is he full of, like, embalming fluid? Like, what is going on? Yeah, the Walking Dead Christmas special. No, that's not good. (laughs) No, I love that mechanism that they have, though, for signifying that we're moving Moving into an alternative reality where she has a discussion with Gideon on the street and all of the lights go off. And it's this kind of horror movie moment that's really accentuated on the soundtrack, too. Yes. It's really freaky. It is. I think why I thought that was because it wasn't obvious that they'd skip back in time. No. I mean, it showed the street lit the same way, but. They'd been on the street a few times. Yeah. So I didn't immediately think, oh, it's that same day where her and her husband were walking down the street. I felt like they could have done something more sort of recognisable. Yeah, maybe. Something like Groundhog Day where everything is exactly the same. The same people walk down the street and do exactly the same thing. Yeah. Same thing that happens in um, Happy Death Day. Like it's obvious that the day is repeating again. Yeah. Whereas with this, I don't know whether it was obvious enough. No, and you're right. it wasn't right. until... The next day when, you know, you sort of, like, you saw Harry again. Yeah, you're right, actually. Maybe if somebody had passed her on the street or something so that she knew. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I intuited as a kid that something major had happened when all the lights went out. And I intuited that something 
had gone back again to normal when all the lights came back on again. Oh, really? I so didn't. yeah, <laughs> I got that. I quite liked it. This is the dark Christmas, and then right. here's the lights coming back on. Now everything's going to uh, go back to normal. Yes, and also, yes. Gideon does say to Abby, "Whatever happens between now and Christmas morning, don't be afraid." Mm-hmm. Underlying message because it's not real. But then I guess they don't remember any of it anyway. All of that is yeah. just experienced by Ginny. So, so does Ginny remember all of the things that had happened? I think she does. I think she is the only one that is aware of everything that's happened, and I don't think Abby is. Not even Abby. No. So she doesn't remember Santa Claus. No. That's devastating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's really cruel. <laughs> well, actually, no. Doesn't she tell her brother that oh, Santa Claus when, does exist? Yeah. So maybe. She does remember it, or God, she must be scarred for life. Oh wow, yeah. So basically, it's the two women in the house that know what's really happened, and the boys don't know. Yeah, that's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about that. One thing I do love about the movie—it's obvious by now that I love a lot of things about this movie—but one thing I do love as a Christmas movie is it gets the orgy of happiness at the end of the movie right. It's still sort of muted and downplayed. But a lot of the time in these different adaptations of A Christmas Carol, they always skimp on the part that I really enjoy, which is where Scrooge is transformed and skipping around and doing nice things for people. And all of his family and friends are sort of bemused by how transformed he is. Mm. In some versions of it, that's like two scenes with Bob Cratchit and Tiny Tim and then it's over. I like the ones that sort of take a bit more time on that. And so to actually see... Ginny reason with her boss and get a day off with her family changed the course of Harry's life by giving him some money when he really needed it. Mm. Watching the Christmas lights go on, which was so important to her husband, making the checkout for his bicycle shop to show that she believed in him. Mm. And then having an encounter with Santa Claus, you get 10 minutes of seeing her transformed and enjoying Christmas and spending time with her family. Mm. I really like that. I think after you've had such a dour, <laughs> sort of miserable time of it yeah. for the whole movie, to get 10 solid minutes of Christmas cheer, albeit fairly subdued, I really love that. It always sends me out on a high at the end of that movie. Yeah, I think I agree. But the the sort of Grinch in me kind of disagrees because it... They're still in the same predicament. I don't know. Like yeah. it's, it's one of those things where it's like, suddenly all our problems have disappeared, except they haven't. <laughs> They're still there. They're still going to be homeless. He still hasn't got a job. Invest $5,000 in a bicycle shop. Oh, I don't know. Like, this is, you know, my inner Grinch saying, oh, that's all bull crap. Oh. <laughs> well... But Molly Monaghan gets her bike. I know, I know, I know. I know. It's a Christmas movie. How could you not have a happy ending? You have to disregard all the problems. Well, yeah, and it's not necessarily about some magical cure-all that's going to transform. Like, sure. They're not suddenly rich or suddenly given a new house for some reason or something. It's yeah. It's the community come together despite the lack of funds to put up the tree and spend time together. Mm. Jack builds a bicycle for Molly Monaghan, which her mother could never afford. You know, they do the best that they can with what they have and they enjoy it. And I think mm. that's a wonderful message. For a Christmas movie. It is. Rather than is. waiting for yes. some miracle to yeah. completely transform your life in some sort of hideously materialistic way. Yeah. I think I, I am just used to 
the ridiculous Hollywood Christmas movies where, yeah. where like some mysterious rich guy comes along and says, Hi, I've heard you've got problems. Here's a one million dollars. <laughs> yeah. And they buy a house and then they live happily ever after. So yeah, I think you're right. It's about kind of toning down the ridiculous Christmas cheer and, and making it more sort of believable. Yeah. I mean, I did like the fact that it wasn't about just being hopeful and, and accepting everything. It was also about giving yeah. as well. The fact that they gave a bike to Molly yeah. and they they helped set up the lights on the Christmas tree with the generator. Like it's a good moral, I guess. Yeah. You know, it, Christmas is not just about being happy with each other. It's also about like giving when you can. Yeah, that's very true. Being generous. Yeah. I think that's a good message for Christmas. It is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Conrad. You got me there. Up next is the second part of our interview with Elizabeth Anwar. Now it's time for Random Trivia. So, Elizabeth, you're our special guest today. Do you have one magic piece of trivia that you've brought us for Christmas? Here's a fun fact. And the only thing that was stressful about doing this movie was the snow globe. Oh. Of the North Pole. Okay. A key prop. Key prop. Very small hands. To this day, I have freakishly small hands. Um, and <laughs> um, and uh, I remember when they brought me to set, they, they weren't too overly serious about too many things because obviously they want me to feel like, you know, they don't want me to feel stressed about anything. But this was one of those things. You know, they sat me down, they said each one of these snow globes is $5,000. Wow. And we only have five for the whole movie. Pressure. Wow. And <laughs> most of the time you see it, it's in my my little Putian hand. <laughs> so, okay, so the point is, out of five, I only broke two. Okay. But those two were the two most traumatic things that ever happened on a set up to that point in my life, which was not that long, so it wasn't that big of a deal. But, um, I'll never forget one day, I was we were doing a scene with my mom, with Mary, and I was holding the snow globe in one hand and I was holding her hand in the other and she was like letting me swing around her and sort of like, I don't know, you just feel like you're flying around. Mm -hmm. And the last time I swing out from her, all of a sudden just... Oh no. Oh. I, I had already broken one and I knew I should never break another one. I didn't even like react. I just ran. <laughs> I ran off set and I buried my head into my mom's chest and I wouldn't let anyone talk to me. <laughs> I was like, I'm not even going to let you get mad at me. <laughs> oh. And I never did get mad. When it happened, it was more just like, oh. Mm. So yeah, the snowball was the only Achilles heel for me in that whole project. Right. <laughs> the, only, the only fear that I had doing that movie was that snow globe and yeah i only broke two only two only two out of five <laughs> and that's our trivia the granger family is so adorable in the movie and so believable as well and mm. yourself and uh, robbie magwood as cal mm -hmm. he must have been seven or eight i guess at the time yeah. if you said to a director you have to direct a scene between a five-year-old and an eight-year-old i mean most directors would run a mile let's be honest but the <laughs> two yeah. of you are great in the scenes where you're alone together did you have lots of rehearsal time so you could get used to each other and develop a family dynamic well we did school together Together. Okay. And obviously, the way they schedule things when they're working with kids, they try and keep them on the same schedule 
even if they're not in the same scenes as much as possible, just because of the nine and a half hour rule and all that. So we were often on set at the same time. What I remember is that he was a very, very sweet kid, but he was an older boy. And so like we had a natural, there was going to naturally be a certain amount of like, yeah, whatever. And like, you know what I mean? Like we had a very sort of organic brotherly sisterly dynamic like pretty early on, yeah. Mm. <laughs> you know, I irritated him like I should and he irritated me like he should. Mm. I do love the way that the two of you are constantly like really excited about the other one being told off. Yeah. And that rings so true to me in terms of young <laughs> siblings. Yeah. I'm the oldest of five and I have four younger brothers yeah. and um, being the oldest, I more witnessed that with them, yeah. you know, just watching mm. the way that they just when each other got into shit. They got off on each other getting into shit. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about connections with the other cast, there is some really touching moments between uh, you and the actor Gary Basaraba that plays the father, especially that scene where um, he tucks you into bed and he holds you upside down. Like, whose idea was that? Yeah, that's so lovely. First of all, like, I love, you're bringing up all of the scenes that for me have, like, when I think about them, I get a little emotional because they really are beautiful <laughs> memories for me. Oh, wow. That scene, it was both Gary and Philip. They both kind of figured it out, but I think it was more Gary who was like, what if I did this? And he just like, before I knew it, I was upside down. Yeah. He was like, grab the blanket. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, grab the blanket. I was like, okay. <laughs> it kind of, you know, that was them and me just being like, yeah, this is awesome. Do it again. Oh, wow. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you were so good at catching the blanket, though, every time. It's like duvet first, then it's the blanket. It's like, mm, it's yeah. perfect. Or is it loads of failed takes, maybe? Is there a lot on the cutting room floor of you missing? <laughs> um, no, you know what? I don't remember how many takes we did of that. But what I do remember is that they had a nickname for me. Uh, it was One Take Abby. Oh, really? Because they knew that they could get what they needed within a, just a few takes with me. And I don't know what that was. Maybe it was just that I was prepared enough or I was just in the moment enough or what it was. I can't, like, again, at that age, you can't really take credit for being a master of anything. You're just lucky that it went that way, you know? Mm, <laughs> like, I don't, sure. I don't know, you know? It's just such a lovely moment. You completely buy the father-daughter bond and that. And just, yes. just little cute things that you do, like um, after he said something about, you know, angels are invisible. After he's left the room and you're just alone in the dark, Invisible. Yeah, <laughs> just that one final line just to yourself. It's amazing. Aw, you're making me emotional. <laughs> Looking back at that movie as someone who studied film and just been a film fanatic, you know, since I was very young, I have a real appreciation for Philip, for the director that he was just stylistically, sure. you know, what he did with that scene, the way he shot it, the way he had me, you know, as much as he didn't have to go over coax or mold me, mm. he's the one who found that magic, in my opinion. I'm not going to take credit for it. But things like that, like that scene, I'll never forget how I felt when I watched him cut back to the black and you just hear me go, yeah. Like I just think it's a very like sweet moment. It is, yeah. And it is a very well-directed movie. I mean, particularly... I noticed this time around when I was watching it, I've always found the middle section where Ginny goes through her nightmarish alternate Christmas Eve, mm. how Philip chose to just keep the camera on her. So even when other people speak to her in the bank, for example, you don't cut to the reverse angle and see who's speaking. You're with her. Yeah. You're with mm. her. And she's amazing yeah. throughout that whole sequence. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking and it's so well done. I remember as a child shooting it and how we made that all work. 
and watching it later and going, oh my God, did that happen? Mm. You know what I mean? And it's, it is the way he chose to be totally in her subjectivity, not her POV, but, you know, keeping you up in her subjectivity and her experience. Sure. You know, you're just, the audience is 100% on her ride in that moment. And she, if she weren't as amazing as she is, it wouldn't have worked. I mean, I remember as a little girl getting emotional. I cried watching that scene right, because right, I yeah. felt bad for her. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm a kid mm-hmm. who knows that this is a movie, I still, I, I went on that journey with the audience. Yeah. It says a lot about the director and Mary. It has a bit of an auteur quality to me. Mm. It's very much about the experience of the protagonist. It's not too overly stylized. It's just very mm. in the mind of the story you're watching. Yeah, it's not flashy, but it is very pointed when you watch it, which shots he's chosen to go for. Exactly. Those final silent shots in her house where the kitchen's empty and all the hustle and bustle of the family is gone and that scene where she's trying to explain to abby and cal that dad isn't coming home that line but dad never died before which you come out with Mm. oh it gets me every time (laughs) talking about it's getting me (laughs) it's amazing i mean was that particularly tough to film was it just another scene just another day yeah that one actually was no it was that one was hard because my mom had to sit down and talk to me about imagining what it would be like if i lost my dad yeah Mm, wow <laughs> I can't talk about it. Um. No, that's fine. It's an incredible film in terms of the emotion. And I think it's because you love the family so much. Yeah. yeah. You get so involved with them. The trials and tribulations they go through, Ben, and also it spends a good amount of time at the end showing you all the good things too. And Dan, you brought this to my attention today that the film is not just about appreciating the ones you love, it's also about giving giving $50 to Harry, mm. giving Molly Monaghan that bike. Yeah, what my dad's, the big thing he wanted to do with his life, you know, yeah. rebuild bikes for kids. It's like such a beautiful and humble thing. And like that family reminds me of people in my own family. Sure. I connected with it because it was like, these are my people. Yeah. It's true. The movie is about that. It's about the giving and the appreciating. Very much mm-hmm. so. And that final moment when Ginny finally says Merry Christmas to someone, and it's the last line in the movie, and it's to Santa Claus. Mm. I mean, it's perfect, isn't it, really? Oh, my gosh. You're you're so right. You're making me really appreciate it. I mean, I always thought it was great, but, like, it's really nice to hear someone else get it on that level so i've watched it quite a few times <laughs> well i can tell you're quoting it to me the way i remember it after memorizing everybody's lines including my own <laughs> <laughs> i didn't watch it again before i talked to you but i you know of course it's ingrained in my brain in so many beautiful ways so yeah you're bringing up stuff that like it's very good memories yeah very good memory is it something that you do revisit often for example i mean is it something that plays in the Arnoir clan at christmas or are you sort of <laughs> beyond at this point no we haven't murdered it yet. Um, I think probably once every couple of years, we'll decide to like throw it on. Okay. We'll always watch it if it's airing, just because it's on TV. Like, yeah. I don't know. It feels more special that way. Right. I think of it as a bit of a classic. I feel like it has gotten criticism for towing that line of being a little bit dark mm. for a Christmas movie and, and maybe having a little bit too much to say yeah. <laughs> for something that's supposed to be about celebrating you know, a time when you're supposed to forget all your problems. It kind of flies in the face of that. But that's why I love it. Mm. And that's probably why we only watch it once every couple of years. Because it's not like your Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah. I was going to look it up, actually, before I came on this to see where we could stream it. Do you guys know? Oh, it's on Disney+. Disney Plus. Plus. Is it on Disney+. Plus? 
It is. It's in HD. It's been mastered wonderfully and it looks great. So, Well, this Christmas I will be watching it with my family then. Okay. This has brought up a lot of like lovely memories. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that I want to oh. revisit again. Well, thank you so much for sharing your memories with us. You have some great memories. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that you guys appreciate the movie. Oh, very much so. Well, thanks again. Uh, it's been amazing. Uh, where can our listeners follow you and what can they expect to see you in next? Thank you for having me. It's been so much fun talking about this movie and talking to you guys and I hope we get to do it again. The pandemic has shut me down. Oh, Things okay. are starting to get active again, but I literally have just been spending this time writing. But uh, you'll probably see me on some Christmas movies that air during this time of year. And you can also check out our subject of this episode, One Magic Christmas on Disney streaming yeah. this holiday season. I hope you all do. Um, <laughs> and if you want to follow me, you can follow me at Lizabones2, L-I-S-A-B-O-N-E-S-2 on Instagram. And Elizabeth Arnois, which is H-A-R-N-O-I instead of N-O-I-S on Twitter because so many people decided to make fake accounts in my name. And oh, so no. I decided oh. that my Twitter... <laughs> Would, would be my name, but without the S at the end of my last name. So you can find oh, me on Twitter as well. Well, thank you so much and happy holidays. Happy holidays. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Movie Awards. It's the Jolly Movie Awards. It's where Glenn's market shoppers get the most excellent value movie picks in a number of magical <laughs> glowing Santa orb categories. Yay! Best quote. My favourite quote comes from little Abby Granger, and it's when the dad is trying to persuade them that their mom is still the prettiest girl in the whole world. And Abby replies... Nah, she's just mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so cute. It's so cute and it's so true to life as well. It's it exactly is. what a kid would say. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. My favorite quote is also from Abby. I think you mentioned it uh, briefly. It's when Cal and her are cleaning up the, the flooded bathroom. Oh, yeah. And, and she asks him what a dork is. And then he kind of begins <laughs> to explain, but then, then he says, you're too young to know meatball. After that, he smashes the window accidentally, and Abby replies, you're in a lot of trouble, meatball. Oh, it's yeah. so cute again. It's so adorable. Best hair or costume. The only thing that stuck out as me is entertaining maybe about the costumes or one that sort of stuck out to me because the rest of it just seems to be fairly sensible winter wear most mm. of the time it does but yes. when they go and visit uh, the clauses mrs santa claus had she's wearing this green dress and it's got this sort of lacy thing around her shoulders it's square and it just looks like she's thrust her head through a napkin or something it's, <laughs> right. it's huge it's really weird it's so, like a big doily yeah a big doily around her neck i don't understand why but yeah so wow. that was the only thing that stuck out to me yeah <laughs> there was one thing that did stick out to me and that was the character of mr crump so I, he's, I guess, the landlord of the house. Yeah. And his disgusting, awful pencil moustache that only really existed oh, yeah. in the 70s and 80s, right? <laughs> it didn't <Yeah>. really <laughs> last past then. No, thank God. 
Most 80s moment. One of the things I find is remarkable about this film is how timeless it is, in a way. It is, Because, yeah. I mean, the only song you hear on the soundtrack is the Supremes from 1965, so that's kind of a classic that she's singing in the shower. The clothes are sort of sensible mm. winter wear. The kids aren't teenagers, so you don't get some of these sort of really outrageous fashions or hairstyles or anything. They're just like kid hairstyles that aren't very good but mm. not particularly bad either um there isn't a lot of product placement either or use of technology so i was just looking at it thinking actually this is kind of timeless this movie but maybe you spotted something that just felt 80s to the hilt uh, yeah i i think i would have to agree with you conrad there wasn't anything that was very 80s the only thing i could point out that was just not modern Mm -hmm. Probably nothing that you would see post-90s, maybe. Yeah. But the announcements over the supermarket loudspeaker of shopping prices, that did not happen oh. when I was a child. And does that happen right. in supermarkets for you, Conrad? Because that was that seemed very dated to me. Yeah, it is quite dated. I mean, at the moment, quite surprisingly, we do have announcements over the tannoy but that's all, please keep your distance, please observe the one-way system down the aisles. Uh, you people in the wine aisle, you are too close together. It's kind of like a police state in our supermarkets oh, wow. right Ooh. now. Oh, yeah, wow. okay. during the COVID era. But usually it's just, you know, uh, code nine in aisle six, which I imagine is like some kids upchucked on the floor yeah, or something. Yeah. It's not usually yeah. there's a sale on shreddies this week. <laughs> I know. I mean, I would not like to do that job of announcing no. the, the discounts of the day. <laughs> no. Favourite scene! I really liked the scene with the granddad, actually, in, in the attic. Mm. I thought it was a very touching and sort of heartwarming scene mm. and a lot of, I don't know, I just felt so much sort of emotional connection between the the grandchildren and, and the granddad. Yeah. He, you know, he gave them presents that he already had, so I thought it was yeah. uh, had so much heart. Yeah, and it was continuity as well. It was sort of handing down things, yeah, a storybook exactly. that was read to him as a child. And yes. A snow globe that used to belong to someone else, yeah. So it's very family orientated. Mm. I do like that the kids are really disappointed that they might not get another present at Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like... I thought, that's so true. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite scene is Ginny's torment, and I know it shouldn't be, but... <laughs> oh, okay, good. <laughs> I was a sick, twisted kid. You know, I was the kind of kid that used to watch He-Man and wish that Skeletor would win one week, you know? Oh, <laughs> I was just... okay. I was a dark kid, so to see this family that I loved so much be put through what I saw one reviewer describe as a conga line of trauma. <laughs> oh, wow. This is one thing after another going horribly wrong. So, yeah, I love that sequence because I'm a twisted kid who likes watching people <laughs> suffer at oh Christmas. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> Most cliche fantasy moment. It's a Christmas movie. The cliche is hope and generosity because it's a Christmas movie. But that's, I mean, yeah, I don't know whether that counts. How about you, Conrad? Well, I, I went for like fantasy movie cliche. So I went for it's all a dream, which oh. of course it is. Yeah. But yeah, it's sort of up there with the powers within you all along. Yeah. It's, <laughs> It's one of those, you wake up at the end and it was all a dream. It's a bit of a cop-out. But I really love time loop movies. I love Groundhog yeah. Day. 
I love alternate reality episodes of TV shows where everything's upside down. I just, I'm a sucker for that kind yeah. of thing. So, best special effect. My nomination is the snow globe, um, the reverse mm. photography of it. Um, so when it gets yeah. fixed, I know it's just footage reversed, but they did well with it. Anna was magical, and they put a great sound effect in there yeah i thought it was an effective scene yeah i liked it too especially there's a like a flash of light as mm. it comes up as there well is, it's, yeah. it's sort of classic disney 80s uh, rotoscope animation effects going on there but fairly again subdued and mm. not too uh, flashy so i quite like that my favorite is probably the only sort of composite shot in the whole movie is, is the view of the north pole that you see i think it's because the really, really long shadows that you're getting from Santa's house in the distance, from the moonlight, are match perfectly the, the long shadows that are being cast by the characters in the foreground. Oh, right. Just sort of, you know, it's not a flashy shot, but it's really well put together. Mm. Like, you, you can't see the seams. It looks like they're in the snow globe. It's kind of weird. I kind of like that. I thought that was Yeah, special. right. That's true. Favourite sound effect. I've already mentioned mine. It's the snow globe. Yeah. The reverse snow globe fixing itself. Yeah. Sounds great. It's one of your favorite things to do when you first get a sampler is to reverse things, right? Oh, yeah. I, I still do it now. I love it. Yeah, like, I do too. How do I make this song sound more interesting? Just reverse something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Conrad, yeah. what's your favorite sound effect? Uh, when Santa comes down the chimney at the end of the movie, you hear the clatter of his sack brimming with toys oh, yes. hitting the floor. And right at the end, there's just this little squeak <laughs> noise. And it makes me think that he's got one of those squeaky toys that you usually have for pets. Oh, like in a dog sack. toy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a dog toy. I don't think it's for kids. So I was quite pleased about that because I thought even the dogs are getting gifts ah, this Christmas. Right. They haven't been forgotten. But I just imagine this uh, fat Norwegian guy <laughs> landing on this squeaky toy. <laughs> I quite like it. <laughs> Most funniest moment. Funniest scene has to be the price announcement that Ginny does. Yes. <laughs> Over the loudspeaker. <laughs> it is so good, though, because she is completely non-committal. She doesn't want to yeah. say the prices. Uh, and especially at the end when she signs off, specials by Herbie Conklin manager, and he sort of interrupts her and corrects her. It's, it's Herbert. <laughs> and then she corrects herself through the loudspeaker. Herbert. And, then, <laughs> and there's that beautifully timed feedback shriek sound after it. Oh, it's it's just <laughs> perfection. It really is. How are you, Conrad? Oh, my favourite is the one little piece of adult humour that sneaks into the movie, which is in that scene in the car where they're oh, reminiscing about right. how Jack and Ginny met and that she grew up in a motel that her father managed. So one of the kids innocently asks, uh, is that where you met, Mom? And the dad says, no, the motel came later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like the kids don't get it at all. It just flies right over their mm -hmm, heads. And mm -hmm. I just love that just rings true that I remember as a kid that my parents would make reference to things and be a bit fruity and I would not know what they were talking yeah. about and yeah. feel left out. <laughs> yeah. 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 Love it. And that's our movies. It is.
jingle bells and turkey belly swells or tofurkey belly swells. <laughs> it's final verdict time. Should one magic Christmas whoosh off as a glowing orb to spread the word of Santa or should it be shot in the bank? <laughs> Car chased and hurled off a bridge into the freezing waters of the oubliette. Disappeared oh from the wonders of our future children. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> God, Rad. <laughs> Final thoughts of One Magic Christmas. Well, I think it's pretty obvious at this point that this is a family favourite here in uh, yeah Castle Conrad. Um, mm-hmm. It's one that I tend to watch every year, and I think it's because it comes from Disney's dark period, and it appeals to my dark sensibilities. Like it's edging towards being a horror movie at sure, some point. Yes, but it's also a grittier, more recognisable family life, and a more solid message in terms of what's important. It's not one of these films that seems to end in a orgiastic capitalistic thing of yeah having more money and more presence is the most important thing which is what you see in things like um national lampoon's christmas or Mm. the polar express actually strikes me as oddly materialistic too it's much more about family and as you said which i hadn't thought of it's about giving when you can and how a little bit will make a huge difference to people and even though it goes through hell and i don't know why it puts Ginny through hell just because she's (laughs) so depressed i think it's a bit mean what they put her through but it ends with such a wonderful heartwarming christmas glow of family time and happiness and saying merry christmas to santa claus i think it's really well shot i think it's amazingly performed by the whole cast particularly elizabeth arnoa and mary steenburgen and uh, it's a family that i love spending time with every year and uh, i love the lesson that they learn so i think it's a wonderful odd little christmas movie that very few people have seen and i wish more people had seen it so yeah i think it should be let go I'm not sure what you will think, so I'm eager to find out. (laughs) I don't know. I I feel like the experience of watching it is a bit depressing. It's a bit sad and melancholic with with a a happy ending that isn't that happy at the same time. Um, Hmm. There isn't a lot of magic in it. Santa Claus (laughs) was a bit of a letdown. Uh, Even the North Pole was staffed by old people. I mean, how boring is that? You know, we're the elves. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I kind of do agree. Like, it is an authentic portrayal of real life. I did like the, the serious tones. I kind of wanted the kids to die. Uh, <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> I don't know what that says about me. But I felt like it would have been much more impactful if she had right. lost everything. Like, her right. entire family. And then she had that one glimmer of hope with, with believing in Santa and suddenly everything turns out fine. And Baxter's whining. Oh, no. It gets a bit hot in my room, so my dog gets a bit restless. Oh. So I'll quickly wrap it up. I think it has all the components of a good movie, and it does is almost execute them, but not quite. So I'm still in two minds, but I think hmm. because it is Christmas, and I think it is a decent <laughs> movie, 
I don't know whether everyone would enjoy it. I don't think it's the sort of movie you should sit down with the entire family to watch. <laughs> but yeah, I think I still think it's it's a worthwhile movie to watch. And to, if you want something a little bit different from your usual affair of Christmas like schlock, they think so too. I, and I'm I'm glad you're you're letting it go in the spirit of Christmas. <laughs> yes, <laughs> even though it doesn't tick all the boxes. Yeah, if you'd like a little walk on the dark side i think yeah if you want you. death and despair this is yeah. your type of movie yeah, <laughs> <around> christmas. <laughs> yeah. merry christmas <laughs> <laughs> okay one magic christmas off you go is a beam of light Oh, I'm so pleased that that one got away. It's <laughs> one of my family's favourite Christmas movies, and I'm so excited that we got to speak to Elizabeth Arnoa about it. Yeah. And more than that, we even managed to track down Robbie Magwood, or Rob Magwood, as he prefers to be called now, who played Cal Granger in the movie, and the composer of the score for the movie, Michael Conway Baker. So we have full interviews with those guys as well. And we're going to release all of Elizabeth's interview because there's more of it than we had in the episode today. Mm -hmm. And our interview with Rob Magwood and uh, Michael Conway Baker as a Christmas special episode on Christmas Eve. Hooray. Yay. Presents for everyone. Indeed. Yes. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Conrad, I am still completely bewildered that you managed to get in touch with these people, but well done. I know. <laughs> yeah. No, it was lovely. I think it speaks to their love of the movie that they're happy to talk about it. So that's great. So that's our last episode for the year, Conrad. It is. Yeah. Thanks to everybody for listening to us for another year. Uh, we've really appreciated it. Yeah. And for uh, getting in touch as well. Don't forget to carry on doing that and tell us what you think of One Magic Christmas. We're on all the uh, usual socials as uh, Movie Oubliette, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Yes, and we, if you want to send us some Christmas wishes via email, we are yeah. movie.oubliette at gmail.com. Yes, but not letters to Santa. You've got to post those, especially if there's a man with a harmonica hovering around. Mm, post yes. those letters to Santa. That's Bad true. things happen otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to support the show and give us a little festive present, then do head on over to Patreon where for as little as a dollar you can nominate and vote on films for us to cover in future episodes, and for five dollars you get access to extended versions of our mooblies and other morsels of goodness. Become a patron today. Yes. So everyone, please stay safe in these troubling times with lockdown and such. Yeah, here's to hoping that we have a happier new year than we had this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile... Stay in your homes. Yeah. <laughs> don't leave. Yeah, and don't spend time with your family. <laughs> yeah. Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah, happy holidays and have a happy new year. Thanks for being with us. See you next year, 2021. She's still the prettiest girl in the whole world, isn't she, kids? Nah, she's just mom.